Thanks, Chris and the band and the team leading us this morning. Uh, for those of you that, that don't know, as Pastor Clint said, I am Alex, and I am Pastor Clint's son, the oldest son. And uh, I have more hair than him, but I will speak just as fast, so just be ready to go on that one. Uh, it's a joy to be here this morning, and I send uh, my hellos from Taylor's First Baptist Church in the upstate of South Carolina in Greenville. And that's where I'm on staff at as college and young adults minister there, and uh, it's a joy to be there and, uh, and serve at that church. And so uh, my wife, Hannah, says hello by way of update for some of you that have known us for some time. Uh, if, if you don't know, we have four kids now. We have Judd, who is, I think he's nine, and then we've got uh, Emmy, who's seven. We have Zeke, who is every bit of 15, but he's three. And then we've got Jesslyn, who just turned two uh, this summer. So uh, four of them and no more. We have eight chickens, two dogs, and four kids. So we're, we've, we've hit our max, so we're done. Well, we're going to be uh, staying along with Scripture this morning where Pastor Clinton, you guys have been in uh, lately in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, it's funny, he's, he's going to preach a homecoming this morning, so he left me with a hard one to preach this morning. So uh, be sensitive to the little ears in the room here today, but this is Scripture and I think it's something that's worth preaching because it is God's Word and we're not going to shy away from that this morning. And so I'd like to open up with a word of prayer, and then we're going to read the, read the passage of Scripture, and then we're going to unpack this passage of Scripture a little bit, and then uh, we will we'll close out here and be ready to take the elements this morning uh, here as Lord's Supper. And uh, if there's any dis, uh, discussion on is, is lunch uh, supper or dinner, what it is, I always just go to dinner time uh, is actually supper time in the evening, because it was the Lord's Supper. So that's kind of why I always remember that. If there's any debate... On is it is it dinner or supper? I think it's supper. It's not the Lord's dinner. It's the Lord's supper. But anyway, I digress. Let's open up with a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump right into First Corinthians chapter five this morning. Let's pray. God, you are good, and we bless your name here this morning, Father. Thank you for this congregation coming together, uh, Lord. Not just to see each other, not just to hug necks, but God to read from your word and to learn from your word. God, we know from Acts two that that is biblical community to get to see each other, to smile, to share with what's going on this week, to hug the necks, Lord, to ask about what's going on in our families' lives, God, but also to learn from your word. And so, God, this morning. Would you honor that? Lord, as I know Catalyst has met already this morning at 9 o'clock, God, I pray a blessing on what was read and what was taught. And God, as we continue this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Lord, this, this is a tough passage to read. This is a tough passage to, to preach through. But God, it's your word, and we deem it fit, God, to honor you this morning because of what you've done. So, Father, as we read your word, as we teach from your word, as we chew on it later in the day, later in the week, God, would you be blessed from our efforts this morning, what we're, what we're trying to do this morning by honoring you. God, would this be seen as pleasant to your ears? And Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to come together to read and to pray and to learn. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So I, from my understanding, I've been preaching through 1 Corinthians for, uh, for a couple weeks now. And just by way of review, for my sake and for you, uh, Paul is writing this book, and scholars believe it was written around AD 53, 55. Uh, and this book covers a wide range of topics. And this is in the New Testament. It was written near the end of Paul's time in his ministry in Ephesus, that kind of a three-year piece there. And Corinth was located uh, on this kind of land bridge. And I was talking to Dad last night, and he said the way he put it was like a Las Vegas Strip for four miles. And so there was a lot of stuff that was happening 
on this kind of, in Corinth, in this area, and it was connected, the Greek mainland, to the Peloponnesian island, or Peloponnesian peninsula there. And uh, it was, I think, important to note that this was a Roman colony, and because of its location of where it was and, and direct to sea, there was, there was trade routes that came through there. There was different religions that would come through there. There were uh, practices and trade and, and fashion and all these different things. Spices would work their way through Corinth. So it was, it was very much a hub of, of a lot of different things. And with that, you get a lot of opinions that come through that city. You get a lot of different religious styles that come through that city. You get a lot of different things that come with, if you, if you could say it this way, you get a lot of baggage that comes with the people and that's dropped off. They continue on, but yet some of the sin and different practices was left there with the people in Corinth. And so in spite of all that going on, Paul goes and, and he is, by God's grace, preached the gospel and we see a church that takes root right there. Have you ever thought of some place that was so wicked, that was so dark, that God could never bring anything out of that place because of how dark, how wicked it was, maybe how far away it was from the Lord? This could have been one of those places, and I say would be one of those places. I know that y'all are engaged in different missions opportunities here at Town Creek as we are at Taylor's, a part of the Southern Baptist Convention and with the IMB and the International Mission Board, if you're not familiar with that, or the North American Mission Board. These areas, we go out together and serve the Lord in different capacities. One area that we've done this lately in our church is going to uh, South Asia into different parts of, of India and sharing the gospel and seeing God work in mighty ways to, to, to soften the hearts of the people there to take root in a place that is very much lost away from the Lord. And so this is something I see here, just like with Corinth, is that this was a lost place, a place that needed the gospel brought to them and a place that needed a standard brought to them. And so this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to read this whole chapter here in one sitting. I want us to look at a couple things that are in here. And I've got a couple points for you. But let's read this passage first, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It says this, as Paul's writing, It is actually reported that there is sexual morality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Verse 3. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that may be a new lump, or that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexual immoral of this world or greedy and swindlers uh, or idolaters. Since then you uh, would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual morality or greed sexual morality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such one. Verse 12, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? 
Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. That's a heavy passage. And that's a passage that really requires us to slow down and see what Paul is writing about here. That passage is one that shouldn't just be memorized for a wana or something else real quick and just spurt it off because it's something that we should take to heart. But it's also something that is very heavy because there's a lot that Paul is dealing with in this passage. And more so, starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, working his way here. He's coming off of chapter 4 off the heels of talking about how imitate me as I imitate Christ. And in reading this, Paul, if you're reading the scripture the way I read it, he's, I have underlined in my word the word actually. It is actually reported. Have you ever had somebody that has delivered some kind of like crazy shocking news? And I don't mean tragic shocking news, but something that you can't believe. What? You know what I'm saying? It's kind of the idea like, I, are you serious right now? There is no way that's right. It's one of those things as Paul sees this, as he's heard about this, and he's writing to them, he is shocked over what is happening in this city and in this, in this town and specifically in this church. And so if you're taking notes, number one, always be shocked by sin. Always be shocked by sin. Now, I don't know how long you've been journeying through your personal faith with Christ Jesus Maybe you're a couple weeks into submitting your life to the Lord. Maybe you've been a tenured Christian, if you will. Maybe you've been a believer for a long, long time. And this may sound like something that's very obvious. Always be shocked by sin. But church, I can tell you, for me, as I work with college and young adults hand in hand, just about every week, I'm on campuses, I'm eating lunch with them, taking them to coffee, doing different things, just talking with them it's crazy to me, and it breaks my heart to see what we, not just our young people, but as a generation, have tolerated to a point now to where we see things and have become numb to them. Let me be more specific. We see sin in our area all around us, and we've become numb to them in some ways, or we've just tolerated different things. Church, a challenge this morning for you is to pray and ask the Lord. I really am a firm believer in prayer. And I know Pastor Clint does a good job at pushing you all to pray in all situations, to be intentional, because that's your personal access with the Lord. That's a different sermon for a different day. I won't get off on that one. But understanding and getting to a point in your own life where you're praying and asking, God, would you break the scales, if you will, off my eyes so I can see Lord, help me to see the sin that's in my life and around me. Not that I can control everything that I do, but God, I can let you live within me so that I can be shocked by sin to call it out. So I can call sin, sin, and not tolerate and be numb to what is going on in my life, in my culture, and in the world around me. Now, it's easy to think, oh, man, I do see that. I do see the sin, but there's nothing I can do about it. I feel helpless or I feel hopeless. That's too grave. That's too big. I don't think I'm able to make an impact on that. Well, church, if I can just encourage you, maybe you can't, but I know a God who can. And it's up to you, in most cases, with your family, with your relationships, with your friendships, with your coworkers, to be intentional with yourself to pray, God, help guide me to be intentional with this person. Help guide me to be intentional with this relationship. Lord, give me wisdom for the day. It's something we all should be praying. Because God, out of our own power, Lord, you know I can't do this on my own. Father, this is out of you and your goodness that I can do this. Paul is writing because he is shocked. He's taken aback. Be Always be shocked by sins. And under that, if you're taking more notes, there's two things that he's kind of shocked at. One, the sin that's at hand. So always be shocked at sin. 
Paul is shocked at sin. And I almost used the word like he's appalled, but I was like, that's too much. That's too much. I'm not doing that. But he's always shocked by sin. Or he was shocked by sin. We should always be shocked by sin. And number one, he was shocked at the sin that was at hand. And because of little ears in the room, I'm not going to reread this way too many times, but the idea of it is actually reported to me that there is sexual morality among you and of the kind that is not even tolerated by pagans. Paul is writing this and saying, this is so bad. Are you kidding me that not even the unbelievers, the pagans, those that like to play games in church and do one thing and say another and not even have to deal with church, don't even deal with anything that we're talking about, the Christ crucified and resurrected, you are telling me that this sin is happening in your church, that it's a sin that's so bad, so vile, that not even they would touch this and deal with this? Because even the immoral have moral codes and ethics and standards that they live by, right? Knowing that even the people who are, who are sinful and of this world, they still have a moral code and ethics that they follow. It may not line up with what we believe or what we think. Surely not. But they still have a moral code. I went down this really dark rabbit hole of following some of the very different American gangs that, are, that have been around in America, biker gangs, prison gangs, everything. And it's crazy to me, and I'm going to be honest with you, it's crazy to me to see the ethics and code of conduct, believe it or not, that are even in these gangs. Because we are all searching for something bigger than ourselves. We're searching for something that is inclusion for us in some way. And what's funny is all the, from what I was looking at and reading and watching and different things, it's really interesting to me to see even their code of conducts translate to generally stuff that the Bible teaches. Because they want to all be held in an upright manner. They want to be seen as superior. They want to be seen as best. But yet it's in their own mind and their own standards. What's your moral code? What's your moral standard? Is it what you think? Is it what's right in your eyes? Is it what you're leaning into somebody else? Or is it God's word? Because for them, the church at Corinth, they were teaching, they were preaching, but they were tolerant. And we have to understand that as, as we're studying through 1 Corinthians, as you are, you must say about sin what God says about sin. And you have to be intentional with that. As Paul was shocked to see this of what was going on, he was shocked at the sin that was at hand. But number two, in this, always shocked by sin, he was shocked at the tolerance of the sin that was being done. Verse 2. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. When's the last time sin broke your heart? To the point where you wanted the things that God wants so bad that you hated the things that he hates so bad. At what point does sin break us inside to want what God wants and to hate what he hates? To love what he loves and to leave what he leaves sin behind. He's shocked at sin, the sin that's at hand, and the tolerance of sin. And in that tolerance of sin, we also see three things that he addresses in their tolerance of sin. Three things under that tolerance of sin is this. One, in chapter, chapter 5, verse 2, that they are puffed up, that they're anger, arrogant. And you are arrogant. Number two, they were insensitive. Ought you not rather to mourn? They were numb to the situation. So they're puffed up and arrogant. Number two, they were insensitive to the situation. And number three, there was a lack of action. Let him who has done this be removed, among, be removed from among you. Paul is writing this saying, listen, you're too arrogant in what's going on here. You're insensitive to the situation. And this person needs to be removed. 
You need to take action now. And he's kind of more shocked that they haven't done anything up until this point with that. For though absent in the body, I am present in spirit. He goes on to lead into how he is there with them in spirit. Church, one thing I would like to just mention in this is that we should be shocked by sin, but we should be in such union with the Lord in our daily walk. Granted, that's going to look very different for each of us, but we should have the spiritual disciplines of a New Testament believer, one that prays to the Lord, one that reads Scripture, one that is in biblical fellowship and community with each other. These things, among others, we should be in daily with this so that when we see sin, it's easy to spot. It should be abnormal and easily recognizable to a believer. You know, it's kind of funny, if I could equate this to a very southern analogy, uh, I've seen this on social media, my wife has even said this to me, of how if she asks me to get something out of the refrigerator, I won't see it. Anybody, can anybody just empathize with that? Like if I, she says, hey, will you go get this out of the refrigerator or go get this off the kitchen table or whatever, I can't see anything. I don't know where it's at. But the funny thing is, we'll be driving on the interstate doing 85, 75, whatever miles an hour. We'll be on the motorcycle, we'll be in the Jeep, riding around, kids are screaming, everybody's losing their mind. And I'll say, hey, look at the eight-point buck right there. Hurry, quick, 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 look, look, look. And you can spot it out of nowhere, right? It just, it just, it's funny how that kind of stuff happens. Or if you're a car guy, you can be riding down the interstate, and something be like, hey, look at that, you know, real quick in a parking lot. It's easy to spot that stuff, right? Because we love those things, so our eyes are in tune to those things. See where I'm going here? When we love God so much, then our eyes are in tune to see what's not God. And Paul is writing here so specifically from chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. This is a letter that is written to these people. And it's not meant to actually be broken up in chapters like this as we have. You don't read a letter from summer camp that way. We read this. And if you, we study it this way. And I'm not, I'm not knocking it. We study it this way. But if you were to read it and just work its way through, it's funny how it just flows together. How God's Word builds on God's Word. Let's look back, if you would. Maybe flip back or scroll back. You can step off Instagram for a second and flip to chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. And let's go to verse 16. And let's just read this flow together and see how Scripture works together with Scripture. Chapter 4, verse 16. 1 Corinthians says this, I urge you, then be imitators of me. That's Paul speaking. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Verse 18, some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. Verse 20 is pivotal. For the kingdom of God does not consist on talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with the love, in a spirit of gentleness? It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his, wife, his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you, not, uh, excuse me, ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And, if, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. You see how that flows together. When we don't break it up in a way, it's great to break it up to study this. But when you're trying to get the overarching idea of what's being said, sometimes specifically in New Testament letters, it's so good just to read them in one sitting so you get the whole idea of what's happening here. Paul is passionate. 
His eyes are in tune with the things that God wants. His eyes see the sin of the world. So it's easily identifiable for him. He's not numb to it. He's not callous to it. But he is sensitive to it. To the point that this matters so much that he is shocked by sin when he sees it. Number two, if you're taking notes, sin must be dealt with, not simply downplayed. Sin must be dealt with, not simply downplayed. Paul writes at the end of verse 2 to remove the guilty party, if you will, from you. Understanding that these people dealt with a lot of things in this time, in this place. And so while we see this, this is something we have to take our minds and kind of travel back even to where we are now and understand that there was sin going on in this culture with these people. And these people likely are believers that came out of that culture. So it's easy for them to slip back into the same friendships. It's easy for them to slip back into maybe the same habits if no one's holding them accountable in these situations. Right? It's easy for them to step back in. Maybe that's some of your story in this room here. That God saved you. He redeemed you out of maybe alcohol. He maybe redeemed you out of pornography. Maybe He redeemed you out of promiscuous relationships. Maybe He redeemed you out of deep, deep sin in your life. <clears throat> and for you, it took the case of maybe removing yourself from a situation as well and from the people you were around. To live a life that's worthy of the gospel. To be around new peoples with new minds, if that makes sense. Please hear me. That does not make you better than any else that is just a pivotal moment for you to see I can't really be here in this place Lord I need your help to remove me from this we've heard this a lot of times to be in the world not of the world sure that doesn't mean you're a goody two-shoes though it still means you're sent into the world on purpose sin must be dealt with not simply downplayed this is one of the spaces where you can be removed from who you were in christ to now who you are in fellowship with the body this is a place for you to grow and to learn to build friendships and to take this out now sent into a world to take accountability with you to take the purpose of the gospel of jesus christ with you in everything that you do Sin must be dealt with, not simply downplayed. Removing the guilty party, if you will, from this church is something that is so pivotal, and it's not something that's sent to, or that is meant to be, let's make an example out of this individual. Has anybody ever said that to you before? Maybe a ball coach or, or maybe a teacher or professor, you get in trouble or something, like, we're going to make an example out of you, you know? I've had that happen to me before, and I'm like, bring it on. Let's do it, you know? And so that's part of my dad in me. I'm sorry. I, I'm ready to fight, you know, whatever, with the Spirit, you know? But uh, taking that idea of, like, we're going to make an example out of you, well, that's not what Paul is doing. And it's easy to read this passage and to think that Paul is being overarching, he's being demeaning, he's reaching too deep, he's, he's going too far here to remove this person, shouldn't they seek restoration with this guy? And so what's happening here is Paul is not writing this to say, get rid of him, make an example of him so everybody sees what's happening and dismiss it. That's not what's happening. Paul values Christ so much. And he sees the value in a biblically-based church in the gravity that that holds. That he's not making an example of this guy. He's setting the standard for the church. Rather, he is helping uphold the standard of the church. Church, church discipline is, is a hard thing to go through. 
Maybe some of you have had to walk through that before as a church and seeing that carry out. It's not easy. It's something that's heartbreaking and that hurts because of the sin issue that's in the life. Because at some point the church is shocked by the sin to uphold what Scripture says. And I love that as Paul's writing, he's like, it's not his words. This is, what, this is the standard that is to be set. However, it's not meant to make an example or point fingers or to make a situation even more muddy than it may be. It's ultimately to bring restoration back to the Father. With this, this is not the only time that we see that the enemy has dealt with people uh, in the New Testament or the Old Testament. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, we see where Peter is, is, is tempted and he's given over to, to Satan to the point for denial of Jesus Christ. Three times he denies him and God calls him out and says, you're going to do this. And Peter's like, no, I'm never going to do it. And then Satan was able to tempt and test to the point where he did deny Christ three times in Luke chapter 22. We also see Paul's thorn in his flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 17. Uh, we can read that just for a second if you want to. Let's flip over just a couple pages. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 17. This is always an interesting one because I think we take that context out a lot of times or take that out of context of that, oh, this is just a thorn in my flesh. But 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, not 17, I apologize. So keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. A thorn was given to me in the flesh. What's it say? A messenger, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Understanding that the enemy can be used to bring people back to the Lord in very interesting and strange ways. We see that with Peter. We see that with Paul but also one that I'm sure that you know of and have heard a story of in vacation Bible school or summer camp or even preached from this pulpit is in the Old Testament in the book of Job. Job was given over and letting the enemy have his way to test Job in different ways with, with sickness, with boils, with, with loss of family, with loss of possessions, and yet Job still praised the Lord. And what we see that God uses Satan at times for discipline and correction of his own, but also it's in a weird way of how God works that as sin must be dealt with and cannot be downplayed, God still receives glory for that restoration that comes there. It seems harsh to disfellowship this individual, but there was more harm leaving him in here than it would be good. It's the idea if you take an egg and you boil it, what happens? The egg becomes hard, right? And you get a nice hard-boiled egg. But does that make egg water? No, not really. It just makes water that the egg was boiled in, right? And so we can see sometimes that, oh, that's what the sinner is doing. He's in this place of fellowship. It's just him. He's alone, or maybe him and his spouse, or him and his helpmate, or whatever sin's going on in life, and that's just him. All of us are not affected. In reality, it's a lot more like coffee. What happens when you boil coffee? Does it make little tree bean water? Yeah, it makes coffee, right? It changes the whole water, the whole makeup of the water. Because it's not just the bean anymore that's affected. It's now everything within the water is now affected. And we don't even call it water anymore, right? We call it fuel, right? Half the time, we call it coffee, right? So just get that picture in your mind of what's happening here. Paul is saying, listen, we have to get rid of this individual because he is going to cause more harm than good. And also, there is a standard that is set for this. 
taking that understanding that that comes from repentance of that restoration. We're to be imitators of Him. He is coming soon if the Lord wills. And He wants to get to the heart of the problem, Paul does. And so moving on through this quickly, we see a repentance with life change is marked by heart transformation. Let me say that again. Repentance with life change is a mark of heart transformation. Consequences of sin can remain even after a repentant heart. It's like falling on a bicycle. You learn not to fall right there because there's gravel or dirt or whatever, but you still have the scars to show that's what happened. Repentance with life change is a mark of heart transformation. Consequences of sin can remain even after a repentant heart. And Christ offers a way to remedy our sin, not just give us a higher tolerance of sin. And understanding that sin leads to destruction. We need to know that and rest in that. But also understanding that it cannot be tolerated. Sin is saying no to God. This is what sin is. Sin is saying no to God and yes to my own desires and what I want. Whereas repentance in a heavenly postured heart is saying, God, I want what you want and I want to hate what you hate. I want to love what you love and I want to leave what you want me to leave. Our God does not tolerate sin and commands us to stop. And in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 16 it says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil. That just means stop it. And so for us, we have to be intentional to know that if we're going to say what God says about sin then we have to posture our heart correctly. So number one, always be shocked by sin. Number two, sin must be dealt with and not simply downplayed. And lastly, the church is equipped to be battle ready. I didn't have any good alliteration for that one. I apologize. But we are equipped to be battle ready to attack and to fight sin. We cannot be arrogant. We must fight and rage war against that arrogance. In James chapter 4, where we're even reading earlier this morning, chapter 4, verse 16, it says something very specific. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. This is talking about for t- boasting about tomorrow, saying, oh, we've got tomorrow to do this. Let's put it off. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. In your life... What do you know is correct to do? In Paul, what he is seeing here, he's being intentional to call out sin, to call sin what it is, to help uphold the standard that God has. The church is equipped and battle ready. We know from our word that we can live a life according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, doing what we can out of his power to honor him each and every day. How are you preparing each day for battle? For us, one thing we try to do in our household is to pray before the day, to be intentional. Pray with the kids as they go to school. We thank God for the blue skies or the rainy weather because there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad gear, right? Just being ready for the day, thanking God for this and being intentional there. But then also trying to posture our minds before the Lord. When we do wrong our kids or we get out of hand, we try to go back to them and and say, look, I'm sorry for this. There's there's different ways we're trying to equip our little people to become big people who who are mentally ready to share the gospel as they go through life. Indeed, we are equipped as a church even to be battle ready. How are you preparing this day? Luke chapter 12, verse 35, talks about being dressed for action, to be, re- to be ready for that. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about putting on the full armor of God, to be ready. We are, giving, we are given stuff to go on combat for the Lord with, with Him on our behalf. And so when we see sin in the church, we sin in, see sin in relationships, we can go and not just start being a slasher, but no, we can be a surgeon and be intentional to go to somebody, as Matthew talks about. Go in private. 
and ask the Lord, Lord, give me wisdom as I go for this. But understanding too that examining the self and saying, Lord, just forgive me. Make sure I'm in right standing with you too before I move this way. To be equipped, to be battle ready. First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21 talks about preparing for action and being intentional there. And one of my favorite verses is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And this is something as I mentor students, this is one of the first verses that we look at. It says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Understanding, church, that we have to be vigilant with our time. We have to be vigilant in each day that we have. And we have to, I underline in my scriptures, and maybe you'd like to do the same, I underline seek and sent because we are, or seek and set. Because we have to seek the things that are of Christ each day because it's too easy for us to tolerate everything else that's happening in society and in our lives. We have to seek the things that are above and we have to set our minds on the things that are above, knowing that is where Christ seated and that he is coming back for us. Again, loving what he loves and hate what he hates. Be an example to non-believers is what Paul is writing here in the meat of this piece as he talks about his spirit being with them. And as he finishes out this piece about boasting and arrogance, he is intentionally writing to, to say, look, people are watching you. People are watching the church. I heard it said, hey, are you a Christian? Someone says, no, just, I, I don't know, ask my neighbor, you know. If someone were to ask your neighbor if you're a Christian or a believer, what would they say? Say, hey, is this person, are they a Christian? How would they respond? How is your life reflecting that faith with action, faith with deed? What would people say? People in this church, we would ask some of you in this room, hey, is that so-and-so a Christian? I think we would all hopefully say yes, because I see it modeled this way, right? It's not just out of the action, but that is the outward expression of how we show our love for Jesus is through deed and action. We understand, too, Verses 9 through 11, that this was part of their past. And Paul is trying to help uphold this precedent of saying, listen, you are called to be different. We're called to be, as we see in Scripture throughout, to be salt and light, to be a city on a hill, not of this world, but to be sent into this world. This is a heavy passage, and this is a hard passage to preach, but I think there is something that's beautiful in this, is calling sin, sin, and understanding that I, have to, I must say uh, about sin what God says about sin, and that is it is wrong, it is of this world, and that Christ has sent us a remedy for sin, and that's in his son, Jesus Christ, not out of our own power. I'll close with this. That Christ is, uh, Christ is kind of preached through this message too. We know that we are sinful people. We're broken people. We deal with issues. We're trying to work on ourselves each day in different ways. We try to do that out of our own gain sometimes, not out of heavenly gain. But when, take, when we take this and try to be lined up with the Lord, we can see Christ preached through this of understanding that we were sinners in need of a Savior. We know that God, kind of the way we, we put it with our students, is God, man, Christ response. God made this world beautiful and perfect for us. Man entered the world. Sin happened in this world. And we understand that now we cannot remedy our situation with God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God. Not by works can no man boast. How do we receive that? Through Jesus Christ, his son. And understanding Paul is writing with intentionality, saying, This is so great. We have to call this what it is to uphold the standard of Christ Jesus, knowing we are sinful and broken people, but yet Christ 
was sent for us on our behalf, that we can put our faith and trust in Him. As Zacchaeus, we see in, in, in the New Testament, he is now a son of Abraham, as Christ says, because he too had faith in Christ. And then we know that we have this response, just as Zacchaeus had a response of a jovial heart and excitement there to give away his possessions and pay back the poor and to have a change of heart. We also have a change of attitude. Our response, God, man, Christ, response. What's your response here today, church? Many of you are believers in this room. Hopefully this is a call up and call out to see sin as what it is, to not tolerate sin, but to be intentional with your walk with Christ so that you can identify sin easily and not just pacify sin. God's life, or a holy life is this, and I'll finish with this, that we are God-honoring, Christ-exalting, and Bible-believing. And I think in your life, if you look back on what Christ has done, we see where God has blessed us. Can I just tell you, church, that's not the ceiling of God's blessing. He's intentional to love his kids well. And we need to strive to, out of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, as heavy of a passage as that is, to be God-honoring, Christ-exalting, and a Bible-believing individual, church, community. And hopefully we'll see in our time the Lord come back for that to say, let's go, let's do it. Let's be excited about what God's doing today in this church. I love you. I mean it. I want to pray for you as I finish out with this. And I want to challenge you three things. To be shocked by sin. To be intentional to deal with sin. And not, don't downplay sin. And to take this last one of how you are battle ready. You are equipped to do this. These good works that are of the day. And to, as we walk into this time here in just a minute of invitation, if you need to come down and pray, there'll be people here to pray with you. If you need to join this church, I'm sure there'll be people here to help you do that as well. But also the intentional piece of saying, listen, I hope you walk away here knowing that you are loved, that you are someone who is cared for, but also someone who needs to do business with the Lord each and every day because none of us are perfect. And it takes a daily renewing of that to remind ourselves that, man, Lord, you are so good. And I'm not. Help me to hate what you hate, to love what you love, to leave what you leave, and to be intentional with that. Let me pray for you. And if you need to make a decision this morning, we'll be here for you. And then in just a few minutes, we'll take part in communion. Let's pray. Lord, you are good, and we praise your name. Father, thank you for uh, those in this room today. God, I pray that you would be glorified through what was read and what was taught, and that, God, through this, that people would understand and see and maybe just be reminded, God, of how valuable you are and, Lord, how detrimental sin is in our lives. God, help us not to tolerate sin. Paul was intentional to speak into the lives of this church in Corinth, in Corinth to, to uphold a standard of sin, to know that people are watching the church around them. God, help them in this room to see you as faithful, to see you as justified, as the beautiful Savior that you are, but also knowing that we have to do business with you each and every day. Understanding, God, that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. Help us, Father, to be intentional with our time that we have each and every day. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.